Today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking adaptive leadership, part two. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. And my name is David. And it is a beautiful day. Yeah. Again. It's June, it's summer, it's been warm mm. in upstate New York. You guys have a pool and I get to drive by your house yep. and look longingly over your fence into I'm, your backyard. I'm pretty tan. You're pasty your white as usual. Thanks well, someone's, someone's got to work during the season. <laughs> we can't all lay around the pool sipping on our little juice boxes. Hey. Listen, there was a day where you loved juice boxes as much as I did. So, now it's been uh it's been nice to get nice weather and yeah. get to be outside and we are pre-recording, so it's hard for us to know exactly where things will be at when this airs as it relates to COVID-19 and reopening. Obviously, we we are hopeful that when you hear this things have been moving forward and we're all kind of reemerging into the normalcy of life and doing it safely. Um and so, uh, and we hope you guys are well, and we're really glad to have back with us on this episode, a friend of mine, Alex Brunner, who serves as a principal of Brooklyn Brownstone School, which is located in central Brooklyn, a uh, great leader. And last episode, by the way, if you ha- if you didn't hear the last one, you got to stop this one, right? go back, because that's going to set this one up. But we started the topic of adaptive leadership. And first off, Alex, thanks again for taking time to be back with us on the Multiply podcast. Yeah. And thank you, Alex, for saying off air that David may be your older friend, but I am your closer friend. So I appreciate that. <laughs> it's great to be back with you guys. We, we had a lot of conversation in the first episode about the qualities of an adaptive leader, about the characteristics of adaptive leadership. Um, we talked about building trust and um, the need to diagnose the problem before we try to create solutions to slow down and to listen. And I wanted to start this uh, episode's conversation with talking about the word empathy. I know that empathy is a non-negotiable in all forms of leadership, but specifically in adaptive leadership. And I'm just curious, Alex, your experience, uh, I know we've talked off air, um, you are leading a school in a community that is being profoundly affected by COVID-19. And uh, can you speak a little bit about what it's looked like as a leader to exercise empathy in this season, both as a person, uh, but also as someone who has a, a leadership role and a leadership responsibility? Absolutely. So, you know, we see ourselves as essential workers, uh, educators right now. Um, Obviously, we're not on the front lines physically, but we are still working every day, um, doing our best to educate the youth, and um, we're isolated. You know, to be in quarantine, I have some teachers who haven't really interacted with other human beings in person for weeks and weeks on end. Uh, because we are in New York City, which is the epicenter not only of just New York and the country, but really of the world in terms of cases of COVID-19. So, you know, we're working every day, but still dealing with the pressures of quarantine, uh, of the fear of the pandemic, and of loss. You know, um, our community in central Brooklyn has been hard hit. So, uh, as we were discussing off-air, Virtually every week, there's a handful of, you know, community members that we have lost, whether that's, um, you know, direct community members with the Brooklyn Brownstone School, and that could be uh, parents or school staff, 
for their families and their friends, you know, and extensions of our community. So it's been very difficult for us to kind of carry on in spite of all of those things. And for me as a leader, I have to continue to drive us forward. I have to continue ensuring that kids are learning while also recognizing that my staff is hurting, mm-hmm. the kids are hurting, the families are hurting. And that awareness has been crucial because if if I don't create a space for it, if I don't adapt and respond, then no one's going to learn anyways, right? I can set up all of these tasks and these fantastic lessons, but if you are undergoing trauma, mm-hmm. then you're not going to engage and grow. So you have to have a space for those things as well. And uh, with regards to empathy and emotional intelligence, it's also being transparent and demonstrating that this is happening to me as well. I feel you. I understand what you're going through. And I am leading and making decisions with those things in mind. I'm not just driving us forward. I'm not some robot. I feel it too. So, you know, I discussed creating spaces for my staff. Um, There's this protocol that we have called Connections, and I actually learned about uh, Connections while I was in one of my ed leadership programs. And it's just an open space, an open forum for you to express yourself. Mm. You don't build and have a conversation and, and go deeper into those feelings, but it's just an opportunity, good, bad, or, or nothing at all to say, you know, hey, I'm feeling this way today because X, Y, and Z, kind of get it off your chest. And you may not have a conversation during connections, but it gives you insight into what's going on in other people's lives. And uh, we do that every week. Um, it's completely separate from my own staff development and training mm-hmm. because I don't want to mix it in and say, hey, let's, let's talk about our feelings and, and what we're going through for a half an hour and now let's get to the agenda and this is coming up and report cards, et cetera. You know, it's a little disjointed. Um, so we have, we have those spaces. We save it for Fridays at one 30, uh, you know, so we can just kind of connect and talk. And then afterwards, um, it becomes more of a social opportunity, you know, to, to again, rebuild our connections, um, and just see how everyone's doing. But that's been crucial, you know, um, and, and setting, setting up that space, you know, as part of work time is not something that's typically done, but in response to the needs that my community has during this pandemic, that's what, that's what we've done. Um, and it's been incredibly valuable. Yeah. You know, it's given some insight then and into what's going on in folks' lives. Uh, you know, and uh, I did mention off air, I had a few folks who have lost their parents in the community. Mm. So they've been able to connect and, and build a relationship uh, through their shared experiences as a result. I love that. So, I, yeah, I love, I think that's great leadership. It's so kind and thoughtful and, and necessary. And, and we have a lot of listeners who work in the church world. And um, mm-hmm. even as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, man, what a good, what an obvious it seems obvious to me now, although I haven't been doing it. What a great insight to separate that 
from a regular staff meeting because I think my propensity would be just to tuck it in at the front end or the back end of a meeting. But we need to be in different mind spaces for those types of conversations. And I, and I, I think that's one practical takeaway. Our listeners, if you're leading a team and walking through this season, you may need to think about creating a whole separate environment for conversation, just sort of a self-care uh, check. How's everybody doing? How are you responding? What are you working through? How's, how are your emotions? How are you how are the margins in your life? And I think that's really a good insight. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, the topic of vulnerability, I read a book a while back called uh, Strong and Weak by Andy Crouch, and he talks about vulnerability in leaders and how how necessary the transparency that you're talking about is. But also he says there's another side to it, which is uh, there are there is a way in which a leader can be transparent to the point of putting weight on the people they're leading that they were never intended to carry, right? So some leaders just have to hold on to certain levels of um, information or, you know, they use the president as an example who gets this debrief every morning about the terrible things that are happening around the world and how unwise it would be for him to get on and to share that with people, citizens who can't actually do anything about that other than it would just create fear and, and unravel them. What, talk, talk a little bit about how you are appropriately transparent and vulnerable with your staff, but also you you are able to maintain some strength, not for the sake of impressing them, but for the sake of being able to encourage and lead them through their own pain. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the first things is that you really have to know your audience, you know, to understand what uh, level of information or type of information they're able to digest and handle. Um, because you, you do want them to grow. You do want them to, you know, have awareness of what's going on, but you don't want to kind of push them over the edge. And um, once you understand who, and you might have other leaders that you're grooming that you could share the information with, right, you know, and bounce, bounce some information off of them, some ideas. But um, the, the, the decision really boils down to how will this impact their stability mm-hmm. and their ability to perform. If if they are not able to engage with their work um, after receiving whatever this information is, maybe hold off for a minute. And this kind of goes back to our, our previous discussion uh, regarding combining an emotional space and setting with you know uh, your regular agenda and objectives for the day and that type of meeting. Mm-hmm. So. I did not start by separating the two. I had connections for the first half an hour of my regular staff meeting. And after someone had shared, you know, this morning, I just didn't want to get out of bed and do anything. And then for me to have them collaborate and discuss new solutions for remote <laughs> learning and engaging students, it was dead. It, it was so quiet. You know, who, who wants to work after uh, that type of thing? So yeah. I had to adapt, you know, it was a flop. And, um, you know, I had to change the strategy. So really, it, it comes down to their own capacity and understanding what the capacity uh, of your audience is mm-hmm. so that you can determine whether that piece of information will push them beyond uh, the zone of development where they are, you know, frozen or uh, disoriented or disgruntled. Yeah, I, that- You've talked so much, Alex, about the importance of adaptive leadership and given us some great just practical examples of why it's needed, why it's necessary, why it's important. And um, and, and again, if you've not listened to the first podcast episode, I want you to go back and, and, and do that as well, because 
you really lay a great foundation and groundwork for what adaptive leadership is and what it looks like. And, and I'm curious, um, you know, we, we work with a lot of churches and, um, and organizations. What, in your estimation, like what are some signs that an organization is not adaptive enough? Is there some signs or some signals that a leader can go, hey, we, we're, uh, we're kind of neglecting this area? Yeah, I think the the signs are sneaky, and they they happen over time, you know. And it's when uh, an organization uh, may have a fixed mindset that we fell in love with that solution that David brought up earlier, right? We had a solution. We're we're just implementing. We're continuing to implement whatever this is, and eventually it may lead to low effort, very little collaboration and eventually decline. It could be decline in attendance and participation, uh, performance, whatever your metric is. But if you see some slow decline over time and you have not shifted your practices to address it, then you may be uh, a fixed mindset type of organization and you are not adaptive enough. As you need change, so must our strategies, right? The problems change. You know, your solution for this problem well, that problem has evolved. That problem has adapted. So now you need to adapt. Mm-hmm. You need to change to meet the new need. I remember hearing um, Joseph Granny say at a leadership conference one time that you can measure the unhealth in an organization by the number of conversations they're unwilling to have. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the things that everybody knows like the elephant in the room that nobody will talk about. And you've, you talked, especially in the previous episode, about open communication, um, team uh, contributions, creating a culture where people respect each other's opinions and feel comfortable, uh, even questioning the status quo, even pushing back against the ideas of leaders who have power over them, so to speak. My question to you is this. What, what have you learned as a leader? How do you keep that environment safe? as the leader in the room, uh, what are some practical things that leaders need to do in meetings so that people feel not just safe in bringing their thoughts and, and ideas, but even valued and celebrated and desired? Mm-hmm. So it, it, it takes a lot uh, to be able to go to your boss with a problem. And, and it may be a problem that the boss has in and of themselves, in their leadership style. So in order to feel comfortable doing that, as a leader, you have to explicitly tell them, this is what I want. I want you to identify. But then also be humble and and receive feedback well. You can't tell somebody, oh, you know, if you see something, say something. If there's a problem, you know, come to me and tell me, and then get upset when they bring it to you, right? So what I try to do, is just create as many opportunities to listen as possible. And I mentioned that in the previous episode. Uh, So that's all of your stakeholders. Mm -hmm. For me, it's school staff, it's the students, it's families, it's community-based organizations that you partner with, it's it's my supervisors, to listen and, you know, really try to triangulate what's really going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes as a leader, when someone comes to you uh, with a problem, you might think, well, that's you, right? This isn't a real problem. That's a you problem. This isn't a a systemic issue. This isn't a me issue. But, you know, really take some time to reflect on it. 
And then this is the best strategy for a leader if if you want to become more adaptive and people, you know, uh, you want people to come to you with some issues and you also don't want to be overwhelmed and be very technical and lead authoritatively and always respond to these problems yourself. It's asking them, okay, you can come to me with a problem, but you also need to come with some ideas, mm-hmm. some solution. That's good. And then I will support you in solving that. So my, my response is always, what do you need, right? If someone comes to me with a problem, oh, Mr. Brunner, blah, 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 blah. Okay, what do you need to solve? If they're bringing it to you, they might already have some ideas. They're not bringing it to you necessarily to solve. Maybe they are. But you're also going to try to build their capacity through this so that you're not just being reactive, so you're not dealing with a thousand things. And I would also caution uh, to really start small, uh, incremental, calculated experimentation and baby steps. So, you know, is this something that needs to change? Um, what is the impact of that on our core values, our culture, our way of doing? Always use that as your North Star, your core values. Um, and then just take those risks, take some baby steps, baby steps, you know, it's going to take time and too much change is incredibly difficult to deal with, you know, and it might change who you are. And as we said before, it's going to require community and trust building. You know, the leader cannot take it on alone. So once everyone is grounded in the vision and if there's collaborative shared vision, your values are shared and known, they can act because they know what the end goal is. Right, and you can trust that they will do right by your school, your your business, your church, etc. Because they're invested, because they've had some some input on said vision, said values. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so helpful, Alex, and and uh, I really appreciate. It. In fact, what what you're saying is stuff I've been trying to get David to understand for. <laughs> years now i was gonna say that listeners should go back and listen to that last two minutes again because that's like leadership gold and uh and just if you get that wrong nothing else really works right Right. yeah yeah super super helpful and um we did want to before we before we end the portion with david's eats where we're going to ask you something else about what great thing you've eaten recently i did want to just because you're a principal of a school in new york and we've got a lot of people who may be wondering or curious or anxious about um what the what the fall will hold for school and and you may not have all the answers of course but in your perspective what do you what do you foresee school looking like coming come coming the fall right so this is the big question uh on every parent's mind and i think you have to anticipate that some version of remote learning will continue um you know a lot of the practices that were developed over the past few months, some schools have already been employing. And we didn't call it remote learning. It was blended learning. It was some form of integration of technology, right? And I think we're going to see an uptick in that. So you're going to still be using Google Classroom. You're still going to be using all of these other programs. Now, in, in various parts of the country, and even in certain states, uh, I think we need to prepare ourselves for the potential that we don't return to brick and mortar buildings in the fall. Okay. Um, but I know my staff and personally, you know, me as a leader, I'm preparing for both eventuality. 
Mm. If we continue with remote learning, how can we do it more effectively? And if we're back in the building, how can we take some of these things, these new practices, and integrate them? Because if you're thinking about preparing students for the 21st century and to be lifelong learners, technology has to be at the forefront. So we're not going backwards, and it's not going to be the same. It will not be the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, The idea is that we improve, and there is some silver lining from all of this. But um, in New York City, it's just me as a person, not as a Department of Ed employee, okay? I I don't see how we can return in the fall based on everything that we're seeing right now. Yeah, and I appreciate that context. Um, What happens, of course, in New York City may be different than what happens in well, it will be different than what happens in, like, Montana, for example. But even upstate New York could be a little different. But the superintendents in Syracuse already are very much talking about and preparing for um, a new um, just model of education, at least for the time being. And so, man, we just want to also just thank you and all of the educators in in our country and in our state and, of course, in the, the, you know New York City. The work that's continued, as you mentioned earlier, you guys are essential, and you've had to continue to show up and do work, yep. and uh, you know locally adapt. adapt. Yeah, locally, our church has partnered with our Liverpool Central School District. We've brought lunch over to their main offices. We've been a big part of providing food to their pantry because there's so many families here, even here in upstate New York, where you wouldn't even necessarily think a lot about that need. Families that are really struggling to get food on the table. And I'm sure that's, you know, very pronounced in, in the city and different communities. Um, and so we, we love, you know, as a church leader, I love honor and support teachers. You know, you know, Alex was one of my brother's best buddies and my brother was a teacher. So I have a real spot in my heart for educators and we're very, very grateful for them. So Alex, we just want to thank you for the hard work of leadership that you're doing in Brooklyn. And, uh, and thanks for taking time to, um, to give us some some insights into adaptive leadership. We really appreciate that. Well, thank you guys for having me. And, you know, uh, it, it goes both ways. Right now, schools and uh, educators, you know, we're, we're struggling. And it's through community-based organizations that we're able to really meet the, meet the needs of our kids and our families. Mm. You know, um, I just think of the church at the end of the, the block where my school is and there's testing being done there and free meals every single day. So, you know, uh, it takes a village and it's cliche, but it is the absolute truth. And during times of crisis, uh, that's when, you know, your partners really step up to, to the plate and um, we're able to make uh, make change and positive impact for our families and community. Yeah, it's good to partner and work together for the good of the community. Well, we want to finish with uh, David's Eats, and I'm kind of taking the reins on this one from Jared. He normally tries to hog the limelight here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you're in Brooklyn, and the food scene is insane. Uh, but uh, I often, when, I think when people think of New York City, they think of pizza. I know New York City has got way more than pizza, but it also has great pizza. And so when times are normal again, and we can travel, and people are comfortable heading into the city, if somebody's in Brooklyn, I know this might be a hard call, but what is the... What's your favorite pizza place uh, in Brooklyn? Oh my goodness! D- David's been David's been telling people Brooklyn. it's Domino's. So <laughs> there's uh, wars have started over this. Um, I always ask people when they visit me, "Do you want the best pizza or the closest pizza?" <laughs> because there's there's so much good pizza everywhere. 
Oh, boy. Well, where do um, you guys, what's near you? Where do you guys go to get pizza on a Friday night? You just want a good slice of pizza. Where are you ordering from? All right. So we go to a place. It's actually this funky little like German European restaurant called Le Paddock, right? And uh, they have this wood fire oven. And their pizzas are fantastic. They're not the typical, you know, um, large slice that you're going to fold down the middle, New York City style pizza, uh, but really nice, uh, nice thin crust, not too crispy, not mm-hmm. too doughy, awesome toppings. Um, every Wednesday, I would have a pizza there. I would go uh, Wednesday night's pizza night. You can get a nice, nice little pile, probably scarf down two of them myself. Um, what, are your, what are your toppings? Bucks. What are your toppings? Well, they have this one that has a, a nice capicola and uh, mushroom and truffle oil. Ooh. That's really good. Yes. And then, you know, old school margarita, you know, uh, some fresh nuts and uh, some nice sauce. Not pizza sauce, marinara sauce. That's really good, too. Well, once again, you've officially made us hungry. <laughs> and we, in, we need to immediately leave and find some sort of pizza that will even come close to that, which is probably not going to happen. Impossible. (laughs) Alex, thanks so much for being with us, man. It's been a privilege and an honor, and we appreciate you. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. This is the Multiply Podcast. We will see you next time.